Chapter two of the Vicar of Wakefield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tyke Hines. The Vicar of Wakefield by Oliver Goldsmith. Chapter two. Family misfortunes. The loss of fortune only serves to increase the pride of the worthy. The temporal concerns of our family were chiefly committed to my wife's management. As to the spiritual, I took them entirely under my own direction. The profits of my living, which amounted to but thirty-five pounds a year, I made over to the orphans and widows of the clergy of our diocese, for having a sufficient fortune of my own, I was careless of temporalities, and felt a secret pleasure in doing my duty without reward. I also set a resolution of keeping no curate, and of being acquainted with every man in the parish, exhorting the married men to temperance, and the bachelors to matrimony, so that in a few years it was a common saying that there were three strange wants at Wakefield, a parson wanting pride, young men wanting wives, and alehouses wanting customers. Matrimony was always one of my favourite topics, and I wrote several sermons to prove its happiness, but there was a peculiar tenet which I made a point of supporting. For I maintained with Whiston that it was unlawful for a priest of the Church of England, after the death of his first wife, to take a second, or, to express it in one word, I valued myself on being a strict monogamist. I was early initiated into this important dispute, on which so many laborious volumes have been written. I published some tracts upon the subject myself, which, as they never sold, I have the consolation of thinking are read only by the happy few. Some of my friends call this my weak side, but alas, they had not like me made it the subject of long contemplation. The more I reflected upon it, the more important it appeared. I even went a step beyond Twiston in displaying my principles, as he had engraven upon his wife's tomb that she was the only wife of William Whiston. So I wrote a similar epitaph for my wife, though still living, in which I extolled her prudence, economy, and obedience till death, and having got it copied fair with an elegant frame, it was placed over the chimney-piece where it answered several useful purposes. It admonished my wife of her duty to me, and my fidelity to her. It inspired her with a passion for fame, and constantly put her in mind of her end. It was thus, perhaps, from hearing marriage so often recommended, that my eldest son, just upon leaving college, fixed his affections upon the daughter of a neighbouring clergyman, who was a dignitary in the church, and in circumstances to give her a large fortune. But fortune was her smallest accomplishment. Miss Arabella Wilmot was allowed by all, except my two daughters, to be completely pretty. Her youth, health, and innocence were still heightened by a complexion so transparent and such an happy sensibility of luck as even age could not gaze on with indifference. As Mr. Wilmot knew that I could make a very handsome settlement on my son, he was not averse to the match, so both families lived together in all that harmony which generally precedes an expected alliance. Being convinced by experience that the days of courtship are the most happy of our lives, I was willing enough to lengthen the period, and the various amusements which the young people every day shared in each other's company seemed to increase their passion. We were generally awaked in the morning by music, and on fine days rode a-hunting. The hours between breakfast and dinner the ladies devoted to dress and study. They usually read a page and then gazed at themselves in the glass, which even philosophers might own often presented the page of greatest beauty. At dinner my wife took the lead, for as she always insisted upon carving everything herself, it being her mother's way, 
she gave us upon these occasions the history of every dish when we had dined to prevent the ladies leaving us i generally ordered the table to be removed and sometimes with the music-master's assistance the girls would give us a very agreeable concert walking out drinking tea country dances and forfeits shortened the rest of the day without the assistance of cards as i hated all manner of gaming except backgammon at which my old friend and i sometimes took a twopenny hit nor can i here pass over an anonymous circumstance that happened the last time we played together i only wanted to fling a quatre and yet i threw deuce ace five times running some months were elapsed in this manner till at last it was thought convenient to fix a day for the nuptials of the young couple who seemed earnestly to desire it during the preparations for the wedding i need not describe the busy importance of my wife nor the sly looks of my daughters in fact my attention was fixed on another subject the completing a tract which i intended shortly to publish in defence of my favourite principle as i looked upon this as a masterpiece both for argument and style i could not in the pride of my heart avoid showing it to my old friend mr wilmot as i made no doubt of receiving his approbation but not till too late i discovered that he was most violently attached to the contrary opinion and with good reason for he was at that time actually courting his fourth wife this as may be expected produced a dispute attended with some acrimony which threatened to interrupt their attended alliance but on the day before that appointed for the ceremony we agreed to discuss the subject at large it was managed with a proper spirit on both sides he asserted that i was heterodox i retorted the charge he replied and i rejoined in the meantime while the controversy was hottest i was called out by one of my relations who with a face of concern advised me to give up the dispute at least till my son's wedding was over how cried i relinquish the cause of truth and let him be an husband already driven to the very verge of absurdity you might as well advise me to give up my fortune as my argument your fortune returned my friend i am now sorry to inform you was almost nothing the merchant in town in whose hand your money was lodged has gone off to avoid a statute of bankruptcy and is thought not to have left a shilling in the pound i was unwilling to shock you or the family with the account till after the wedding but now it may serve to moderate your warmth in the argument for i suppose your own prudence will enforce the necessity of dissembling at least till your son has the young lady's fortune secure well returned i if what you tell me be true and if i am to be a beggar it will never make me a rascal or induce me to disavow my principles i'll go this moment and inform the company of my circumstances and as for the argument i even here retract my former concessions in the old gentleman's favour nor will i allow him now to be an husband in any sense of the expression it would be endless to describe the different sensations of both families when i divulged the news of our misfortune but what others felt was slight to what the lovers appeared to endure mr wilmot who seemed more sufficiently inclined to break off the match was by this blow soon determined one virtue he had in perfection which was prudence too often the only one that is left us at seventy-two chapter two